Hi, I'm Coach John Cook. Thanks for listening to the Talkin' Hoops podcast. My guest today is Coach T.K. Griffith, the head boys basketball coach at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio. Coach Griffith graduated from Hoban High School in 1989 and was given the head coaching job at his alma mater at the age of 21. He just completed his 27th season as the head boys basketball coach at Archbishop Hoban High School. I hope you enjoy our visit with Coach Griffith. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook. Welcome to the Talking Hoops podcast. Uh, I am excited today. I don't. I've done now six of these, and I haven't had an opportunity to do a podcast with somebody that I really didn't know the full story and have a great background with. But I think that's what makes today interesting. I am going to be visiting with TK Griffith, the head basketball coach at Akron Hoban High School. And um, I, I, this podcast is built on the idea that everybody in coaching has a unique story, and we like to let them tell that story. And, and you've heard me say now on multiple episodes of the podcast that, that a student of mine this year made the statement to our entire staff that that she believed that there is power in other people's stories. And that stuck with me for the last several weeks. I think there is power in other people's stories. And I think there's something that we can all gain uh, from from the stories that other people tell, particularly when it comes to coaching. So I'm excited to have TK Griffith from Akron Hoban High School on with us today. And we're going to get into his story right away. TK, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, John, for having me on. Appreciate it. Now, listen, we, we don't know each other. We actually are only connected through a, a mutual uh, friend, I guess you would say, but it's, it's more than well, that for you and me, actually for both. I mean, I was an assistant yeah. coach at Bluffton University uh, when Tom Heil, who's the head coach right now at Baldwin-Wallace University, but when Tom was a, a college junior and senior, I was on the staff where he played, and you coached Tom in high school at Hoban, and that, that was kind of what led me to seek out this connection to do this, but you're, you're a born and bred and and lifelong Northeast Ohio guy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I went to uh, Catholic schools growing up. I went to Holy Family Parish School in Still, Ohio, here in Northeast Ohio, a little bit uh, south of Cleveland, and then uh, went to Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, where we uh, I was I was uh, the type of kid that was a marginal player, but I loved the game. Um, was pretty good, maybe K through eight, and then ran into the bus all of a lot of talent at Hoban, uh, made the freshman team, got cut my sophomore year as a youngster, and then came back and made it my junior and senior year, and we won a state championship in 1989, so I got to be a part of a of a Division three state championship team down at St. John's Arena, and all those things, along with many other influences, kind of sparked my, my love of the game. Now, you're going to have to jog my memory just a little bit, but I think that 1989 title team you're talking about might have been the first state tournament game I ever watched. Uh, wow. You guys had Anthony Stewart and yep. Dan Heideman. Yeah, Danny Heideman, Anthony Stewart, um, Derek Owens, Aaron McGee, Josh Novak, Tyson Cowley, Steve Kramer, uh, myself, um, and probably a guy or two that I'm missing. Well, Bo I, Sloan, I'm sorry, how could I miss Bo Sloan? He was my best friend. He was a, <laughs> a 6'3 wing, but a great defender. Uh, he started on that team. So would, would that have been your senior year? Yeah, that would have been my senior year in high school. Yeah, uh, would have been my junior year, and I, that was the first year I went down to the state tournament. I, I just I, I remember it because then that two years later, when I enrolled at college, I became a student assistant at Ohio Northern, and we played Mount Union, and and there was Anthony Stewart with the high top fade, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the and the barrel chest, and it was he oh, was yeah. not an easy guy to deal with. Yeah, Stu had to he had to kid and play box haircut before that was big and. Uh, the funny story is Anthony and I, uh, Anthony's the head coach at University of Tennessee Martin, 
he'd be a great guy to have on someday. So he stayed in the game and uh, was an assistant at Wyoming, Long Beach State, and some other places, and he's the head coach now. Well, NCAA Division One head coach, and his son, his son Parker, plays for him, and his son... His son was actually at Pitt for a year and then transferred to play, to play for his dad. But Anthony, Anthony and I, Merrill's our sophomore year. We were both cut our sophomore year. And then he grew six inches, and I just got a little bit better. Oh, the three-point line came in, too, which helped me. Uh, but he grew six inches, and I started shooting the ball a little bit better. We both made the team. Well, I'm, I'm going to work a connection with him for sure because Anthony Golson, who's an assistant at Capital University, and and Stu are really tight also, and so uh, I look forward to the chance to have somebody like that on the podcast. But when you when you played in high school, you mentioned getting cut as a sophomore. We we've kind of got that common bond. You don't know my story very well, but I, I've got mild cerebral palsy, and I have an identical twin. There was some birth complications and things, and my brother was a, was a, was fully healthy and played all four years of high school. But I got cut as a sophomore and cut as a yeah. junior both, and then as, as a at the end of my junior year, I thought, well, I'm probably not going to play, so I want to chase this coaching gig a little right. bit and see where it goes. And I remember watching that, that Hoban group play even as long ago as that was. And as young as I was, what I was struck with, with that group was that they had legitimate star power in those two bigs, but yeah. they just, if I remember right, there was just remarkable balance in how they played the game at both ends of the floor. Yeah, we were, uh, we were an interesting team that year. We went 12 and to start the season and then we lost seven of our next eight, which was unbelievable. So we only finished that season 13 and seven. Uh, and there was a lot of factors that, that went into that. Uh, but we were uh, a half-court-oriented man-to-man defensive team. Uh, very simple offense, kind of kind of, kind of high-low, uh, maybe like a high-low motion offense, maybe the old three-out-two-in, you know, uh, pass the screen away. And, and uh, we were able to just kind of feed the big boys throughout the tournament. But Derek Owens was a catalyst as a leader. Bo Sloan was a defensive player. And, we had some nice pieces and parts and some great size, and, and we were able to uh, win a state championship. It was an incredible experience, something that I'll never forget. Now, when you finish off a senior year in, in that kind of way, did, did you have a college path selected? Did you know what you planned to do in college and have that passion for coaching already? Yeah, the only thing I ever really wanted to do was coach basketball, you know, to be honest with you. Um, and I went to St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, uh, which is a uh, NAIA Division One kind of. It was a, a little bit of a powerhouse back in the day, and uh, they got a lot of Division One transfers from from from, from uh, the Southwest Conference schools, which was at, at the time University of Texas was a was a Southwest Conference school. So I did try out for the team a couple of times. I I, uh, I was on a practice squad for a couple of days, but I was never. I was never at the caliber of athleticism that it would have taken to, to be on the St. Edwards University team. So I ended up being an RA in the dorm, and I was in charge of the guys who were on the basketball team. And that kind of got me in the that kind of got me in the loop there. And then I immediately started coaching at a local high school called St. Michael's Academy. So by the time I was a sophomore, I was I was the JV coach at a high school, and kind of started my coaching for you know my my, my coaching career. So did you envision yourself at that point when you were in Texas and, and did you envision yourself coming back to Northeast Ohio? Is that what you what you had planned to do or were you open to whatever doors might be available to you? Yeah, that's a good question. My, my wife and I, we both went to Hoban together, uh, my wife Amy, and we also both went to St. Edwards University together. So, um, you know, that, 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 that uh, put us down in Texas. And this is pretty interesting. 
we had our U-Haul packed up and ready to come up here to Kent State University where we had, but we had both been, um, we had, we had both been, uh, accepted into the graduate program there. I was going to get my master's at teaching and she was going to get her master's in literature. And, uh, right as we were about to leave, St. Michael's Academy called me and offered me their head coaching job because their coach had left. Um, so I had an opportunity to stay and we had about probably eight hours to talk it over. I called my dad at home about a month prior to that. I had put my application in at Hoban to be a freshman coach, but little did I know Hoban was having trouble. They were also in a transitional period. They were having trouble finding a head coach. Um, but I just wanted to be a freshman coach while I was working on my master's at Kent state. So I had a head coaching opportunity in Texas. That was my dream. So we were going to stay, talked it over in the course of about eight to 10 hours. And we just decided that the U all is packed. We just got to go back up to Ohio and, and, and see where the chips may fall. And I'll never forget a couple of weeks later, Hoban called me back up and said, Hey, why don't you come in? And, uh, actually my dad encouraged me to call Hoban because he had heard that they couldn't find a head coach. And, uh, you know, so I called Hope and I said, hey, you know, Dr. Riding, she was our principal. You know, what would you think if I came in and, and interviewed for the head coaching job? I've heard you guys can't find one. She kind of said, thanks, but no thanks. And then a week later called me. I went in, had the interview, and I got hired as the head coach at Hope when I was 21, basically by default because they really couldn't find anybody. That's there, There's a yeah. little bit of similarities in, in our journeys. I won't get into mine, but that's that's the kind of thing I think this podcast makes this podcast fun for me is that's everybody's got a journey. Everybody's got a story and it's the, it's the twists and turns and the unexpected, but to land a head coaching job at 21 to come back home, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential, even in a bigger area like that. I mean, I grew up in small town, Ohio, where if I had taken the head coach job at my high school at 21, I mean, I I would have known like four generations of people (laughs) that would have attended every game uh, because they never left. But so you're coming back relatively recent graduate of the school was there right. was there that connection still to a lot of the faculty, people, community? That you, did you still have that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Hoban is a little bit different. You know, the Catholic schools in Northeast Ohio have great tradition. However, because you don't live in a geographical area, it, it, they're, they're, it's a little bit more transient at the Catholic schools. You know, it's not like a small town where everybody's right down the street. However, the faculty was very much the same. Um, and, and, and a lot of my roots were there. Yeah. In my first five to 10 years, there was a lot of people to help take care of me and guide me through it. Cause obviously you don't know what you're doing when you're 21, even though you think you do. Uh, but the funny story about that, especially since my dad, my dad passed away young. Um, he was only 59 or 60 when he passed away, but a funny story about when Hogan called and offered me the job, um, I'll never forget. Cause I was at my dad's house. So I, I, I did not have my own place yet. I had just come home from St. Edwards University, which is in Austin, Texas, and and uh, we started jumping around. And after I hung up the phone, we just started jumping around and going crazy, like we had just won the national championship. <laughs> my dad, myself, and my brothers. I, I've got two younger brothers. It was really a great memory because um, my dad was just so excited that I was the, the head coach at home, and it was like it meant everything to him. Um, obviously, the reality of it is, isn't quite as fun sometimes, but, you know, he, he just was so proud. So that you know how those moments are. And that, that was a pretty cool one for me. I, I can certainly appreciate that. I, the first opportunity I had to be a head coach was right after I graduated college as well. And I graduated from Northern and became the head coach at Ada High School right there in town. And I had grown up at a, at a neighboring district. Ada was our biggest rival. I mean, we hated yeah. each other. And, and I coached their JVs my last year of college and then got the head coaching position. But you talk about when we won our first sectional championship, which was my second yeah. year as a head coach, 
we want our we want our sectional title in the gym that I gra- the high school that I graduated from, and my oh my, my parents were in the front row wearing Ada colors, <laughs> beaming with pride when right. when they you wouldn't have been able to pay them to wear those colors, uh, you know, for most of my life. It just it's amazing yeah. how and, and there's something I, I I think you would agree there's something really unique about getting to share those kind yeah. of highs with your parents. We don't all get that opportunity no, for very no. long. You know, I've been fortunate. Yeah. My dad's still living. Um, yeah. but, but it's not something you get to do is, is to, your parents are always proud of you, but to get to share right. your own joys like that with them, that, that, that had to be a great moment. So yeah. you're coming back. What was it, about 93 ish when you got hired? Uh, yeah, my first full season was the 94 basketball season. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you said it, you take over at 21. You're obviously excited about it. Obviously I always right. talk about the difference between being ready to be a head coach and being prepared. Um, is there, is there anything that stands out about that first year where you felt, yep, I was ready for this and I might not have been quite as prepared for it as I thought? Yeah. My first game, um, my first, my, my, my hero in high school was our football coach. His name was Clem Caraboulet and he was probably the most motivational figure in many people's lives. He actually passed away while we were seniors in high school. So we, we kind of worshiped him like a God, um, and wanted to be like him. And he was known for his pregame speeches, and he was known for his uh, ability to inspire and motivate. So he was also known to be a huge Pink Floyd fan. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> my, my, before my first game, I got the whole team in this small little kind of, I'll call it a closet, but it was probably more of like an ice bathroom. <laughs> Turn off the lights, play the Pink Floyd song, and these kids are looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? And... Uh, and, 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 you know, it wasn't really me. I was trying to be somebody else. Um, and, 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 and I, I like motivation and I like things like that, but, but probably not before a game, you know, I, Absolutely. I, 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 will, I will fire up a team before a game, but I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'll save something like that for a chapel talk or something that we'll do maybe in the classroom. Um, so I think one of the things was I, I probably, w- w- I was trying to figure out how to be me and not how to be other people. And, Probably a huge, a huge negative for me was I was never an assistant for a long time. And I think that's a key part of the training ground. So I just had to learn by mistakes. Um, luckily, my longtime CYO uh, coach, uh, my seventh grade CYO coach, Tom Goodall, who had been a coach for about 20 years at the youth level, he came on. He was probably about 40 years old. Uh, and I was only 21 or 22. He came on to be my assistant. So he kind of served as my voice of wisdom. Um, I, I, I knew a lot about basketball, but he knew a lot about life and people and how to deal with situations. So he really balanced me out and kind of guided me through the beginning. That's a, that's a great point that you make. And an interesting one is I, I always kind of felt like not having a mentor early on, not having it. I say extended. I mean, even three or four years, not having any extended right. time to work as someone's understudy, if you will, yeah. or to have that mentor. Right. I was blessed. I've worked for two college coaches that, that are yeah. you know legendary. But when you're a college student working in a program, it's not the same thing yeah. as working on the day to day grind of coaching. Right. But as you as yeah. you go through that journey, then 94, 95, 96, when you're when you're building what's going to be your program, where, where did you place your emphasis early on in terms of the program aspect of getting things established? What was your priority? Um, I, I think my priority early on was was uh, trying to establish kind of relationships in the, in the community for Hoban basketball, you know, in a way that was healthy. Um, I've never believed, of course, AAU wasn't even around yet, but I, I, I wanted to run a lot of summer camps. Um, I went out to the local parishes and started running camps. 
which is which was which had never been done before. Um, I, I, I wanted to do more in the summer. I, we, we did more in the summer than any. I, basically, Hoban had never had summer basketball. Summer basketball did not exist. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say there was no summer basketball until until I started coaching at Hoban. Now, part of that was because the rules had changed. But we took full advantage of the rules, and, and we just we just really went hard in the summers trying to develop uh, a group of guys who – you know, uh, get to know each other. Hoban is such a, a, a unique community because we have kids from six different counties that come to our school. However, they don't all come, you know, they're not coming for basketball per se. They're, they're just coming for the academic program or the faith formation or whatever draws them to Hoban. Hopefully some are coming for basketball too. So so we, we get a lot of spare parts sometimes that you have to kind of, you know, these kids don't know each other. So we, we're trying to form a family and trying to get them to believe in each other. You know, so those were some of my, you know, we, we had some embarrassing moments too. In 95, you know, our last game, we lost by 50 and a kid had 50 on us. Um, I mean, that, that was about as low as it can go. We were 6-15 and 15 and we lose our tournament game by 50 and the opponent kept their, their player in to drop 50 on us. Um, and, and I had a parent altercation during that game as well. So, you go from a pretty low moment there to then we started to turn the corner the next year. You know, we, we finally got to the winning record. And then in my fourth or fifth year in 98, we went to the final four. And that, that that's when I, I, that's when, you know, obviously winning has a multitude of sins. <laughs> Once we were able to turn the corner and get to that final four, that's when I kind of established myself as who people thought I knew what I was doing. I still didn't know what I was doing. But the winning, <laughs> the winning makes people think you know what you're doing. And then in 99, we went 20 and 0. Uh, lost in the tournament, but we had another good year. So that that's when we have kind of turned the corner and established ourselves in '98 and '99 for sure. And and you know the thing is, I, when you're living through that from '90 '93 or '94 to '99, when you yeah. have those struggles, it feels like a long time. To, from the outside looking oh, yeah. in, from the outside looking in, somebody might say, "Man, you turned it quick and, and got it really established." But I don't I don't know how you feel about this. I guess I'm the question I'm asking is. Are you a believer in taking moments like that lost by 50 and gave up 50 to an individual player and say, this can make us who we want to be? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I even think within a season, those are the those are those those are those crucibles. You know, those are those moments that kind of that, 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 that just make you who you are. I mean, there, there's times where, you know, you do something pivotal, like you set up you set a best player. Um, you probably think you're going to lose by 20. You know, you said a best player because he was a knucklehead that week, came late to school, got in trouble, and, and you're just going to take a stand. And somehow, some way, your team kind of your team proves you right by by winning a game that you probably shouldn't have won without without a star. Or perhaps you lose a tough game because you did that. But it, it regroups everybody. Yeah, th- those are crucible moments. But us, us getting drilled by 50. Without a doubt, you have to walk through. You, sometimes you have to walk through that valley of death, right? Absolutely. When you come back up that that hillside, so that that was that was a humbling moment too. Well, and, and I think that for some people it's very short term. Some t- it takes longer, but I don't think there's any question that if you coach for very long, you're going to get humbled. Uh, oh, it, yeah. It's going to happen. And I've always been a big fan of the story that they used to tell about Coach K's roughest year at Duke when they got demolished in the ACC tournament and they were out eating after the game and one of his coaches raised the glass and said, here's to forgetting about tonight. And Krzyzewski said, no, here's to never bleeping, forgetting about tonight. And, and right, I just, right. I've always been, I guess, drawn to that story because I really believe that every, yeah. every guy that has those mountaintop moments or maybe even establishes his program as, you know, top tier consistently, they've all right. got those things they can point back to 
that were, were big in building their character and who they wanted to be as, as people. And then ultimately what they wanted their program to be. So I think that's a, a really good piece to your puzzle. Um, so I, if you, if you don't mind, I want to shift gears just for a second, because before we wrap up at the end of the podcast here in a little bit, I want to talk more about the X's and O's and how you see the game since it's evolved so much in the time that you've been coaching. But you are, you are also a guy who is deeply committed to and pretty passionate about the academic side of what you do that pays the bills. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that, you know, when I first started, um, my, my dad always told me, you know, don't be one of those guys who just is in the high school to be a coach. You know, he, he, he would have been entirely embarrassed of me if that's what I was all about. Not, not that there's anything wrong with somebody who is a coach or a phys ed teacher or whatever the stereotypes are. He, he just didn't want me to fit the stereotype. So I tried really hard and I, I can't say that's why I went into it. I do like writing. I actually majored in English writing. So I was going to be a journalist. I, I enjoy writing. Um, so I, I majored in English, but, but it wasn't my first impetus for wanting to be there. My first impetus was basketball, but, but soon I learned, I was like, man, I, I love teaching this literature to kids. It's a great way to impact lives. It's a great way to, 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 to uh, teach some life lessons vicariously to kids before they get into some of their, uh, you know, life decisions that might make that make, that might make them go down the wrong path. So I, I just, I soon fell in love with the poetry and the literature. So I'm the, I'm the director of the, um, I'm the, I'm the department chair of the basketball, or I'm sorry, I'm the department chair of the English department at Hoban. I'm the head of the English department. I, I teach all the honors classes at the sophomore level and all the AP courses at the junior level. And I also teach the, the newspaper. So I've got, you know, three different preps and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm very proud of, of, of some of the accomplishments that we've had in the English classroom, especially our AP scores. You know, we had out of our 42 AP test takers the last couple of years, we've had in the 20s get fours and fives, which is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, we, we, we compete against some of the local schools. We, we even knocked off Ignatius a couple of years ago, and they've got a lot of smart guys up there. So, uh, you know, the, the classroom is kind of where I'm comfortable, and the classroom is probably where I shine. I've always said basketball is kind of pain. Um basketball is just full of pain and, and it's, it's navigating through through difficulty it's nothing but adversity but the classroom uh, the classroom is just a whole different experience for me uh, they're both teaching but but one is uh, one I, I can be a little bit more of a of a positive force for people because you're not you're not dealing with playing time or some of those negative issues uh, that you don't encounter in the classroom so yeah, some of my best relationships are definitely built in the classroom. Well, that, that's a tremendous perspective. And, and for any of our listeners who don't know, uh, you have your own podcast. Relatively recently started a podcast called The Teacher Coach uh, is the name of your podcast. And, and, and I appreciate that because I just, as I've lived longer around the game of basketball, I think coaching has gotten better. I think resources are more available than they've ever been. But I also think that there's just been a certain loss of understanding about the value of teaching as a coach. Um, and, and I really struggle with that because in high schools across the country and certainly in Ohio, it's fewer, fewer and fewer coaches are actually in the building every day. Exactly. And, and I think, yeah. I think that's so incredibly valuable. And I listened to a little bit of your podcast and I hope some of our listeners will, will choose to go that direction and check it out too. Um, but you emphasize you. that in a couple of your podcasts, you talk about the value of being in the building every day. And I, a lot of, a lot of guys can make it work, not doing it. I don't know that I would be able to make it work and feel really good about it. No, no, it's, it's something where, you know, I, I could never give up the teaching part and, and, and I just like to live the, 
I feel like I'm walking hand in hand with my with my student athletes when I'm when I'm living the grind of the, of the academic life with them, you know. And I can be in a hallway, and, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, you know. I might be in the hallway with a kid who I don't play much, you know, but he gets to know me as a person who cares about him outside of his playing time, you know. He gets to know me as a person who is passionate about about wanting to impact lives um, through writing, through literature, you know, so he, he, he may, he may, in re, you know, in a couple of years after he <laughs> forgives the lack of playing time or whatnot, he, he's going to get to know me in a way that he'll never, he would have never gotten to know me. I'm, I don't want to ever just, just be a coach to people. You know, I want to be more than that. I want to be an influencer and I want to be an educator that was a part of their life holistically, not, not just for basketball. So I think the best people are, and even if they're not, even if they're not a teacher in the building and they are of, of another profession, I I still think that they can have that impact if they choose to. But yeah, the people that I just I'm not into are the ones that, that are just there for their sport and, and just there to win. And I, I don't think that that's what it's all about in this, at the scholastic level. I, I agree with you a thousand percent there. And I, I, I again, I it's it's refreshing for me to hear it talked about openly that that's a goal is to make those connections. And and you said the the, the phrase being in the hallways and you know, I think that's how you deal with kids that maybe don't get the playing time they want or aren't getting enough shots or don't have the role they envision is if right. if they know that you're a person that's invested in them regardless, uh, you have yeah. a, you have a chance not only to make them the best player they can be, but you have a chance to right. impact their life in a way that that's going to that they won't talk about their basketball experience first. And, and, and exactly. I, I think that's huge. Uh, in, in this day and age, I think it's almost critical. And so we, we do have to do a, a short break here in about five minutes. I just have to reset the recorder and, and, and restart okay. things for the second segment. But okay. I want to ask one more question in those along those lines, because you've had a ton of success. Um, you run a you run a real program. You don't just coach a team. Right. And with the success you've had and, and the abilities you've demonstrated as a coach and as valuable as the education and teaching component is to you, what bind would it put you in or how difficult would the decision be if you ever had the opportunity to move up a level and maybe get into college coaching? Yeah, that's something I thought about a lot. And then there's been a couple of occasions where probably nobody really knows it. Um, but where, you know, I, I've, I've had an opportunity to interview for a few division three college head coaching jobs. One was down at St. Edwards university where I went to school. That was pretty cool. That was in 08 or 09. I don't know if we would have made the move, but I, I got down to like the, maybe the final four. Um, and then a couple other times at some some Division three colleges, I think as a high school coach, um, it, they, they might have just been giving me a nice, kind gesture to, to give me the interview, but I, they were at least pondering it. Uh, I do think sometimes if you don't have that NCAA experience, it could be a little bit of a of a negative for you going into that, and you might not you might you might just not get the job, which obviously I never have. You know, I think philosophically, I, I'm a believer in the Division three NCAA model. That's where I would fit best. Um, however, I would always miss the classroom. Um, and, and so therefore I think, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be because, uh, I, I like interacting with the kids during that, during the day. I like getting to know all the other students that I interact with. And I, I've just really, you know, after you spend so much time in something, I don't, I don't want to be a braggart here, but I, I'm pretty good at teaching English. Um, yeah. and I, I don't want to lose something that I've spent my whole life trying to become good at just to go in a couple of basketball games at the college level. But, uh, in fact, one of the schools that I did interview for, I, I told them that I would only take it if I could teach a couple English classes as a as a visiting professor or whatever or adjunct professor there. So they actually thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, so if, if there was ever that thrown in, I would love to do it. Um, but I'm happy where I am right now. I have a son. My, I have four kids. They've all graduated from Hoban. 
my oldest daughter went to Notre Dame. My next one went to uh, Duquesne in Pittsburgh. And then my daughter's at DePaul right now. And then I have a son who's a freshman, going to be a sophomore. So when he gets through, I'll have to make some decisions. But I, I love coaching high school basketball. And I love teaching in the classroom. So I, I think I'm at the right place. Well, undoubtedly you are, and undoubtedly what you said is true, that sometimes if you don't have that NCAA experience, I think it probably does hurt you when it gets right down to decision-making time. But the first the first podcast of yours, the Teacher Coach podcast that I listened to when I was searching through, was I listened to your segment, uh, your episode with Mike Fuline uh, from Mount yeah. Union. If that guy keeps doing what he's doing, more co- more colleges are going to knock on your door as a high school coach uh, to, to come because true. because he's proven he's proven that that jump can be made and be made successfully. Yeah, boy, has he ever? He's doing a great job, isn't he? Outstanding, it yeah. really is. So we're going to take our quick break here. When we come back from the break, I want to I want to talk to you about what you just mentioned about the children that you have and their journeys, and talk a little yeah. bit about balancing uh, this coaching gig with 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 the things that really matter, the family life. If you don't mind Absolutely. talking. Absolutely. All right, but we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Talking Hoops podcast with Coach John Cook. We are absolutely blessed today to be joined by T.K. Griffith, the head boys basketball coach at Akron Hoban High School. And uh, before we went to break, we were going to talk a little bit about what I think is the maybe unspoken challenge of coaching uh, that, that should rank ahead of the, th- the ones that easily get talked about. And that's balancing uh, your life as a family man coach with, with the demands of not only being a, a successful coach and running a program, but like you said, being a, a committed educator as well. I mean, it's, it, it's not a nine to fiver. It's, that's, that's, that's not what that gig is. And, and you've got a lot of, you know, you got your own children on their own journeys and, and yeah. talk a little bit about how you've set about trying to make sure that there's balance in that way. Yeah, uh, I mean, as I reflect on, you know, I'm, I'm in my 27th year coaching at Hoban, so you know, my entire adult life, really, I'm 48 years old. I started when I was 21, so my whole adult life has been spent in the classroom and, and coaching at Hoban. But probably the thing I'm most proud of is uh, the time that I put in with my own kids, uh, not only being a dad, but also coaching them and being a part of their athletic life. So for about 16 years, um, and people can, people who coach can appreciate this. Those who don't might not understand it, but for about 16 years, uh, I went from our practice from three to six at Hoban right to my kids' CYO practices. So I was a head CYO coach for 16 years and CYO basketball is the CYO is Catholic youth basketball in this area. Um, so I coached my kids from grades two through eight at uh, St. Francis de Sales Parish School. My last year was my was my last year. I hung up my CYO whistle because my son was an eighth grader. My last of the Mohicans, my fourth, Andrew. Um, and and so then that their their practice might go from like let's say six thirty to eight thirty. You know, so that's sixteen years of basically rolling in at nine. And there were there were a couple of those years where we had uh, we had three kids involved in basketball. One year we had four kids involved in basketball, but we would have uh, we we had a twenty one day stretch of games. One time. I, I think the, the record the record we had was we had a we had a twenty one day streak of every day there was a game because CYO is played on Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah, uh, my games are Tuesdays and Fridays. My daughter, uh, my daughters were, were usually Wednesdays and, and, and Saturdays if they played high school basketball. But sometimes if they played freshman or JV, there might be a Monday thrown in there. So we, we, had, we had a crazy 21-game stretch one time that was pretty amazing. So it, it was crazy busy, and now we're down to the last of the Mohicans with my son Andrew. Do you get the opportunity with doing what you do to, uh, to be invested, like 
with your with your children that are in college. I mean, they want their independence. They need their independence. And your right. some couple of your kids have gone away to school. But do you get yeah. the opportunity to take visits to to the campus when they have a parents' weekend or a or something where you get invited down? Do you get a chance to do those kind of things? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my my oldest has graduated from the University of Notre Dame, and then ironically, she is at Cathedral High School in Indianapolis as their JV girls basketball coach and their head cross country coach. So. Um, I, uh, I get out to Indianapolis to visit her. I've not seen her coach a game yet because last year our seasons were, were so lined up where I had a game when she had a game, so I wasn't able to see her coach yet, which I was disappointed in. But when she was at Notre Dame, we would go up for football weekends and, and all kinds of stuff. We had a great time visiting her there. And then my son in Pittsburgh, we were able to get to a little bit easier because that's only about an hour and 45 minutes away. He's a physician assistant now for University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. That's outstanding. Uh, and then my, my third is at Chicago. She's at DePaul in Chicago, and that, that, that one's a little bit tougher. <laughs> Although with COVID-19, we had to go get her and bring her home, so she's home now. Uh, but that's a little bit of a tougher trip, but we try to get up there at least one extra time other than the drop-off. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my son's still still at Archbishop Hoban as a freshman. Now, it, that's, that's really spread out, and, and there's a lot going on with all those kids. Do, yeah. do, you, do you feel like your job as a coach – has benefited their development, even though, even if it wasn't basketball related. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, what I did was an extension of my, of my father, of my, of my parenthood and my parenting, I should say. I mean, that's one of the reasons I stayed in coaching because I, I felt like it was an extension of who I was as a dad. And so my kids, for instance, when we played LeBron James in 2003, Allie and Austin were on the bench. Um, and, and they, they lived that with me, even though it wasn't a good memory because we, we we always lose when we played LeBron. Uh, but but they were they were on the bench when I ran a basketball camp. They were at the camp, so Hoban just became an extension of who I was as as a person and as a dad. And I think it had an immense impact on their lives. And so far, we haven't screwed them up too bad. That's that's outstanding. <laughs> I mean, one one of the things I'll always I, I don't like to use the word regret, but one of the things I'll always look back on with my and you don't know my story. It's it's but but a very jagged experience in coaching and a lot of different changes. The one thing I'll always regret is that my my son and my daughter. Um, actually, my my daughter is finishing or just finished her sophomore year at Ohio University. Yeah. My son will be a senior. Is they didn't get to attach um, coaching to to them for a lot of their lives was just what dad loved to do. And they right. never really got the experience of it being a part of all of our lives in one place for a long time where it wasn't just about basketball. The coaching was about connecting to the community and connecting to the to the students. I always kind of wish that it had, had been different in that regard and, and to have them be really root, rooted into a community and a, a situation where, yes, right. it's yes, I'm the basketball coach or yes, that basketball is a part of it. But it's a lot, that lot, lot deeper than that. And I'll, I envy guys yeah. that get to have that as their as their yeah. story. So let's let's jump back then, if, if you will. Now that you've been 20, 27 years uh, right. at Hoban, and you mentioned that the, the one thing you never really had was an opportunity to be an assistant for an extended period yeah. of time. Who, who would you identify then as as main influences on you as a coach, from from philosophy to X's and O's to development and growing as a coach? Who who do you draw a lot of your influence from as as a guy who wasn't really an assistant? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm a little bit um, unique in that because I just like to take a little bit from so many different people. You know, early on, I mean, growing up, I loved Bobby Knight, but then I realized I'm, I'm not Bobby Knight at all. 
Um, I mean, I can be tough on kids, but I'm not Bobby Knight. Then, of course, it was Coach K when I was in maybe in, in, in the 1990s. Um, late, you know, uh, somewhat lately, I like the John B lines of the world, but I, I like, I like, I, I've learned to, I've learned to respect and like all coaches for what their, their unique gift is. And I think there are so many coaches who have that unique gift. And, and I've also learned that I just have to be me. And, you know, my, I guess my forte, if I have a forte is that I like to approach each season with a blank slate. You know, I, I like to, I really like to see how the puzzle pieces fit together. And because I can't develop a youth program, because Hoban starts in ninth grade and, and I don't have access to a, a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade feeder school, I, I really have to be creative and intuitive in how I want to put that team together. And I have to be willing to change. Um, you know, and, and who I am is a person who likes to create and change. So I have to be true to that. Um, so there, there will be times like in, in 98 when we went to the Final Four. We didn't start running our offense that we actually used all the way through the tournament until about a week left in the season. Uh, and we didn't start playing our defense that we used probably until the last month of the season. So I like to, over the course of the season, see what's working, what's not working, and, uh, and, and intuitively change and adapt until I think, until I think we found ourselves. So I love to make a group of people better and I love to make a group of people feel connected, um, and, and trying to build that connection. Uh, is, is my first job. And then after building that connection, trying to see how we can use our pieces and parts to, to get the most out of each other. That's a, a fascinating approach. And it's, it's interesting for me to hear for two reasons. One is I think it's unique because you don't have the feeder system. The second thing is, and before we started recording, you and I were talking about Michelle Duran, the recently retired women's coach at Ohio Northern. And you had asked yeah. me about her approach to things. And you said, right. you said two things during that, that would have probably given her chills if she was was here or was listening to it because she used to say every year is it's a totally blank slate and I can't wait to start working on this puzzle. Yeah. And then she would, she would invariably say during the early part of the preseason practices, we got to get more connected. We're just not connected enough. We got to get more connected. And, right. and she would harp on those three things. We got a clean slate. Yeah. I love putting the puzzle together, but we got to get connected. Right. So hearing you say that, put a smile on my face on this end of the phone, <laughs> because that's that's how she she approaches it. And and I think, you know, because you don't have the feeder system, even though you're coaching high school basketball, you have right. the opportunity to function a little bit more like they do at the college level um, right. because you essentially have a four year window uh, yeah. to, to build these teams. And it is literally brand new every year. Um, right. so here's my next question then, as you talk about guys that you've drawn from and, and things like that, 27 years as a head coach, um, in, in my opinion, the 27 yeah. years that you've been head coaching, we've seen greater change in our game in those 27 years than we probably did in the 50 before that, oh, yeah. uh, in oh, terms yeah. of how the game gets played and, and what gets embraced almost emphatically about the change. Normally in, in my younger days, you would see change in the game happen very slowly and it would right. cycle through. Like when I was a kid, um, it, nobody set a ball screen. Like it was, it was, right. it was three out, two in pass yeah. and pick away or pass yeah. and basket cut. And then right. gradually the, the, the ball screen came back and it wasn't just acceptable. Yeah. It was almost required. Yeah. Um, but, it, but that was gradual. It's been almost, right. it feels like at times coach, it feels like almost overnight, everybody has said, we're either going to be four out or we're going to be five out. We're going to spread you out. We're going to shoot a shitload of threes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it feels like everybody just embraces that. So 
talk with us a little bit, if you would, about embracing the, the, the changing game that you've had to go through as a coach, as a head coach for 27 years. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question and a great point. I, I think, you know, there, there's been the loss of the post game. No, nobody really plays a back to the basket post game anymore. If they do, it would be in high school, but you don't see a ton of it. You know, European ball screen motion. Everybody runs it. Um, even the best teams run it. Uh, some some people just run it in a very vanilla fashion, and then you know the three point line and analytics. You know, there there's you, you didn't hear people frowning upon the mid range jumper, um, and you didn't hear people encouraging bigger guys to take threes in my first ten years. You know, you you heard a lot of coaches in my first ten years say that that you know you're a big guy, you don't shoot from there, you 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 shoot from in here. Um, and now it's it's everybody has to shoot to three if you want to be a player. Everybody has to be able to attack the rim left and right if you want to be a player. Um, the one thing that I think we've lost a little bit of is is the ability to utilize roles. Um, like, like for instance, I think you could still have a great high school team and have a kid who's just a screener and a rebounder and a defender. But I think because everybody is so in love with the three-point arc, if that kid can't shoot to three, he may not find the floor as much as he did you know, in 1995. Right. Um, and I think, I, I think coaches could, could be that, that could be a fatal flaw, including to, in, including with me, myself. I think I've, I've played some guys who might be skilled and can make a three, but maybe they can't guard anybody because again, modern basketball is spacing, you know, attacking, kicking, dribble, drive, dribble, drive and ball screen motion are the two biggest changes to me offensively. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, defensively, you know, you, you don't see some of the traditional zones that you saw in the past, at least in my area, you don't. And you see a lot more people trying to get up and down and press and take gambles and chances. But um, I think once once they went to three officials, that also changed some things as well. You got to be careful of foul trouble. And now with, 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 with teams not having the depth, with, with football players and some guys choosing to specialize, and maybe you don't have the 10 best athletes in the school because four of them have decided to not play basketball. And uh, per- perhaps one of the biggest changes that I have seen is the role player doesn't want to play anymore. If the senior doesn't think he's going to play a ton, he'll quit and he'll stick with baseball or he'll stick with football. And it's, it, there's some societal pressure for that kid to, 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 to work on swinging the baseball bat all, summer, all winter, my bad, yeah. uh, so, so that he can get the baseball scholarship. So, so sometimes that depth of athleticism isn't there. And so you have to be a little bit careful on uh, teams who press because you might get yourself in foul trouble because you may not have as many good players. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Specialization has changed in a lot of ways that we probably don't even think of. Yeah, and I, that's a great point, Coach, and I'm glad you said that. When we talk about specialization, you don't. it doesn't matter how, many, how much time you spend on Twitter or how many articles you read that are, are, are out there. Nobody thinks it's a good idea that has a real good understanding, and, right. and, and people that don't seem to have a real good understanding are dominating the decision-making process oftentimes yep. about yep. kids specializing. And, and yeah. it's unfortunate because, I, number one, it's unfortunate because kids cost themselves experiences, and that's what life's about is experiences. Yep. Yep. And, and I think that's sad. But the other reason, the other reason that, it, that it's unfortunate is just what you said is I, I've always believed that athletics and I believe basketball, maybe more than any other sport, has an yep. opportunity to teach kids about the value of roles and the value of, 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 own, of owning a role and maximizing yep. it. I think I think that's a lifelong lesson. I think it can fit into right. industry. I think it can fit yep. in a lot of areas. But you're, you're right. Guys aren't willing to do that. And so 
lower numbers means we have to work a little bit handcuffed in terms of how we coach yeah. because we have to be concerned about those things. But yeah. that, that kind of relates to the question that I, I have. And I asked this of probably my last three guests on this podcast. And that is, you know, I heard Jeff Van Gundy say it and he put it in a way that was pretty succinct. And so I've kind of hung on to it and I use it is that because this is so readily embraced and the analytics and the importance of the three and the value of the three and the efficiency right. of it and, and, and the positionless basketball is a, I put that in quotes because it's a really a great catchphrase and it right. is, it is fascinating, but I think people use it without understanding that predominantly, right. predominantly positionless basketball means skilled size. Yeah. <laughs> not, not everybody has size all the right. time, but right. the question I guess I have is this is, my concern would be, and I want to hear how you feel about it, is that if everybody embraces that style of play and we're all going to prep and practice and build things the same yeah. way, how do we right. prevent how do we prevent it from becoming that the guy with the best players wins every game, not just most of the games, but every yeah. game? I did. I heard. I listened to that podcast that you're speaking of, and I, it might have been Stan Van Gundy, or it might have been Jeff. I can't remember, but. I love when he said that. I think that is so true. That if we all play the exact same way, then to, just the team with the more with the most talent is going to win. So that that's where I think that creativity. I, I love guys who try different, unique things. You know, uh, one one of the guys that I just really, really love in, in the sport of basketball is Dave Filipovich, who was the Air Force Academy head coach. Yes. Um, and I think what he did with the limited resources he had as far as player talent was just unbelievable. He got fired this year, but last year in 2019, I mean, he went eight and 10 in the, in the, in the mountain West. I mean, that that's unheard of with the kind of guys that he has versus who they have, but he's playing a little three, two matchup zone. He's running a little Princeton. I mean, he's, he's doing what he can to try to win a game, you know, and, and, and get his five guys to play better than their five guys, even though their five guys are, are more talented individually. Um, I think another guy who does a pretty good job of that with a totally different style is Jim Crutchfield, who was at West Liberty. Yes, yeah. And now he's down at Nova Southeastern, I think, in Florida. Um, and even though his style is much different, he's more of a pressing gambling. Maybe he is. Uh, maybe he is the style that we're speaking of. I, I still like. I, I still like his style of coaching. I think he's bold with what he does. Well, and I, I like hearing you talk about guys like that, not just because they have interesting stories, but. It's so often we don't the, the the average fan doesn't realize how much great coaching goes on at places you don't watch and people you've never right. heard of. Right. It's 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 fascinating to me and I'm a yeah. big fan of guys like that. It's one of the reasons I love Division three basketball and always will is because yeah. I think some of your best coaches in the country, uh, regardless of level, are Division three coaches. Uh, Absolutely. They, they, yeah. they do a remarkable job. And you, you've been fortunate. You've coached guys that have gone from your program on to play in college. And we mentioned Tom Heil at the start of the, of the, of the podcast is, is the head coach at Baldwin Wallace. He's an example right. of, of what I'm talking about, a guy who's an yeah. exceptional coach um, yes. because he is he is adaptable and he tries to be a little creative and and he tries yeah. to, to maximize what his guys are. Uh, every yeah. year. And, and I just think that that's really, really important. And I was actually glad to hear yeah. you say that. So we've, we got maybe just a little more than 10 minutes to go. Um, if you don't yeah. mind talking a little X's and O's, I kind of like to sure. um, yeah. just to talk yeah. about when you talk about the clean slate, you know, all things being equal and you, you can kind of pick and choose how you want to play, you know, right. not, notwithstanding that you may have different differences in personnel from year to year, what would be Hoban basketball if you could say this is how we're going to play every year because this is how I prefer to play? 
Right. Um, well, I, I, I think the last few years, I mean, if I could play the way I wanted to play, I do love the three-point line. Um, as a guy who shot the three very well myself, I like to utilize it as a weapon to space out the floor so that we can then get it inside. But we haven't had the luxury of a lot of talented inside players. So I would say we're a guard-oriented three-point shooting team. We've had um, Colin Gurley, who plays for Mount Union, went to Hoban, D. Allen Jackson, Jake Snyder. We've had some incredible three-point shooters um, in our time. So I think building confidence in shooting, um, building confidence in skill development. Uh, I'm a big believer in skill development and teaching guys how to play instead of running plays. So I want them, I want them to be intuitive. Um, and, but I'm a little bit of a mix. I, I, I say that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I love being the puppet master sometimes and, and being able to call a nice set at an opportune time. So, um, well, you know, we, we, we <laughs> my assistants would, 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 would say uh, that there is no answer to that question because we, 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 we uh, I keep a binder and uh, we, we do have a lot of sets. We don't we don't walk the ball down and call a set, but we have some situations where we will get into something if we don't call a set we are going to come down and typically run some sort of uh, modified ball screen motion it might be a four out one in uh, look where we're going to hammer the weak side with a flare so we might we might have a high ball screen to attack the middle and the weak side may flare but the two guys on the weak side may, may, may flare off of that action while we lift the strong side i like that type of stuff we might make some movements to get into that stuff. So it might just end up with a, with a high ball screen and, and that weak side is going to hammer, which is a flare. And the strong side, if I'm attacking the rim, is going to lift on that replace action, which is very traditional modern basketball. Um, but in, in addition to that traditional modern basketball, we then like to mix it up with a couple different looks. We, we, do, we, did, we did run dribble drive for a year or two where we drop our, our big guy under the basket and, and he's kind of going back and forth a little bit uh, away from the drive so to speak and then mm-hmm. i also really 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 admire and try to steal from davidson uh coach bob mccullough at davidson is a guy that i really admire so some of his stuff that i call wildcat um it gets into some of the stuff that they did with steph curry uh, i guess uh, for lack of a better explanation your trail your trail four comes to the middle of the arc right um and and even with the rim where and and your big man your your five runs to the rim um so so your point guard chooses one of those gaps and then your motion kind of starts with a quick reversal of the ball and uh, which leaves three guys away from the ball and then there's some of that steph curry motion where that guy may curl off the point guard or back cut off the point guard and then the point guard would come back. It's a, it's a little three-man motion, I call it. But yeah. Davidson, if anybody if anybody uh, YouTube Davidson motion basketball, they would find this stuff and they could steal it at will. Uh, but I really, really love the Davidson stuff and that, that's what we've been doing. Uh, a little bit of Davidson and a little bit of Belmont. Um, Rick oh, Berger, God, I'm sold. I'm sold. Uh, we we, we kind of stole a couple things from them. Some of it looks like it's a simple double away stuff four out one in double away but then we we mix that in with some of that wildcat davidson stuff so i would say what we've been doing lately is is uh, the davidson stuff a little bit of belmont sprinkled in and then we do run traditional ball screen motion with two bigs a four and a five being our our ball screeners like everybody does and then we run some four out one in ball screen hammer stuff so <laughs> that's uh, well, what five things right there yeah <laughs> like but, i said we, we, we do a lot and that's probably 
that's probably our weakness and our strength. You know, we do a lot. If I see that you don't guard ball screens well, we might just run ball screen motion against you. You know, right? If I see that you guard that stuff really well, we we might, but you can't stop the ball. We might just dribble drive you. You know, so so I, I kind of pick and choose what I think may work against you. If, if moving and cutting works best against you, we might we might run our bell our Belmont Wildcat stuff. Well, so. You- you know, my, our strength is we're versatile, but our weaknesses were, were, were maybe we're too versatile. Well, you, you said about four things there that jumped out at me. One, you said that, and 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 I don't care who you are, how long we live, coaching's coaching, and there's something that's that's an odd high about calling a really good set at the right moment and having it work. I don't care if it makes you selfish or not. There's something right. that's a great high about that, and it'll always be yeah. that way. You also said yeah. you keep a binder, which made me want to stand up and clap because nobody does that anymore, and I'm a binder freak. Uh, I think everything should be in a binder. Um, But you mentioned Bob McKillop and Rick Bird, and and I'm telling you what, those are two guys that over the last six to seven years for me, as I've coached at the college level as an assistant, it's given me more time to study certain guys. And and I'm not sure there's a better purely – just a better coach and teacher of how to play in our country than Bob McKillop. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, I would agree 100, 110%. I love it. I love his stuff. Yeah, if we, if, we if you and I had met 10 years ago, we could have been really good friends, man, because this is, <laughs> this is some good stuff. But I liked what you said about having basically five packages. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I'm a, I am a believer that coaching has gotten so good for the most right. part, particularly in Ohio high schools, coaching has yeah. gotten so good that your best opportunity to win, particularly right. particularly late in the year, is yeah. to, to watch a team, study a team, and find a package or two that you feel yeah. give you your best chance. And having that versatility is almost yeah. a must. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's my style. I don't know if it's best. I, I am sometimes a little jealous when I see a team just run one thing, but they run it well. Um, you know, the mentor, mentor is a great example of a team that just, they're going to play fast and they're going to play hard and, and, and they're going to just attack you. You know, they're not going to run a bunch of sets, but they're good at it. Green and green is the team who's going to run sets around here in Northeast Ohio, but, but they're also going to run their ball screen motion and they're going to beat everybody, you know? So there's, there's so many different ways to do it. I'm always, a, uh, that's why basketball is so fun to me. I'm even thinking of, uh, Crutchfield has a one four low series and he even runs some flex out of it and nobody's run flex for 25 years around here. I'm even thinking of throwing a little bit of that in next year. Um, cause I still think there could be a place to steal a couple buckets off of that, well, even I, though it's, even though it's very antiquated. But I, but I agree with you because I think it's to guard it. You got to be mentally focused and you got to be tough. And, yeah. and in spots, you're going to find a guy that just doesn't want to fight that baseline screen. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I think that's great. Coach, listen, I I told you we would keep this thing to an hour or less. And I know you got some things you want to take care of tonight. uh, And I want to let you do that. So look, man, we may do this again sometime if we get the opportunity, because I really enjoy talking hoops with you. And and, uh, the X and O side I could go into for a long time. But the philosophy stuff is 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 was really refreshing for me. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been an, an, a, really it's been a pleasure getting to, to, to just talk with you and kind of understand you a little bit through the things we've talked about. Um, I know hopefully you're going to be building your way back towards some sense of normal in your program this summer. And, and I wish you luck there. Um, Thank the, you. The, yeah. the only. Uh, I, 
Go ahead, Doug. Pete. I just want to say, you know, Tom Heil really speaks highly of you, um, and I appreciate all your your tutelage of him and taking care of him. We need good people to take care of our kids when we send them out to the college ranks. And I know Coach Guy Neal and his staff, and you were a part of that staff at Bluffton, really took care of uh, Tommy during some pivotal years in his life, and and now he's taking care of other people's kids at Baldwin Wallace. So, you know, it's. Uh, it's like that pebble in the pond type of thing, that ripple effect. So thank you. Well, I'm, I'm humbled and blessed just to be a part of, of programs like that and to, to have any sort of a role in the lives of people like Tom. And we, you and I could do an entire podcast on Tom and his story. And we're not going to yep. do that because his head's big enough. Uh, <laughs> but but, um, but I, I do appreciate that. And like I said, I, when I met Tom as a junior and senior, if I heard TK says or TK did once, I heard it 75 times. Uh, a week at Bluffton and, and I've always wanted to know you and and my my journey took me different places and my path has been my path and I don't I don't begrudge my path to anybody but this game has allowed me to meet and experience a lot of great people and really connect to great people and I consider myself lucky uh, to have gotten to do this um, the bad news for you is it's a kind of a standing rule that we don't put in writing that if you're a guest on this podcast you got to send the host a t-shirt <laughs> for your, hey, no worries. so if no you worries. so if you get, if you get a text that says my address with large and in my yep. name that's just that's just yep. your reminder will do man no problem i'd love to send you a hope we need to represent out there in northwest ohio because i'll tell you what i plan to do is if this podcast thing lasts very long i'm going to make me a t-shirt quilt from about my first 15 <laughs> guests and i'm going to put pictures of it on social media absolutely uh, you should, so yeah do it man I, i'd like to get it framed up and do that and i i just so much appreciate you taking time to be a part of this i'll let you go and do what you have to do but don't be surprised if you get a buzz sometime down the road maybe wanting to do a follow-up Heck yeah, I'd love to, John. Thank you so much for all you're doing for the sport of basketball in your neck of the woods out there. I appreciate it. Just got to keep sharing the game. I enjoyed talking with you. Be safe and good luck getting your uh, your program restarted this summer. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Take care, Coach. Thanks so much for joining us today to talk hoops with T.K. Griffith, the head boys basketball coach at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can catch future and previous episodes of the podcast on Spotify and Google Podcast, or you can visit anchor.fm. Please review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And on Anchor, you have the opportunity to help sponsor us financially if you wish to do so. Thanks so much again for joining us. We look forward to talking hoops again with you real soon.